I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka Sounds of Science. Two years ago, I was joined by someone who became one of my favorite guests ever, Ziva Abraham, CEO and founder of MicroWrite. She is an expert on mycology, or the study of fungi. In a rare occurrence, this expertise is a hot topic in both the scientific and popular entertainment fields right now. In real life, scientists are battling the ever-present threat of fungal contamination in the lab, including hard-to-identify organisms like Bacillus cereus. On television, Pedro Pascal is battling the fictional threat of fungal zombies in the series The Last of Us. Ziva's here to talk to us about the real dangers of fungi, We might not need to be afraid of zombies, but we should still respect the spores. Welcome, Ziva. Thank you, Mary. So I'm dying to know, did you overcome your squeamishness to watch some of this show? It wasn't that bad, violence-wise. I have to be honest with you. (laughs) I watched the show in parts. Mm -hmm. You may laugh. If I tell you I asked my husband to watch the scary parts, (laughs) <laughs> and I opened my eyes only for the non-scary parts. That's fair. Then I got the gist of it. What some parts with the fungus, uh, where the fungus infests humans and then spreads. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I should not have been scared as I dealt with zombies during my PhD research. Really? Yep. For four years, my job was finding the zombies in the field. And you'll be surprised. I rode motorbikes. <laughs> Isolating the organisms, growing them, identifying them, and then developing mass spore production methods and taking the spores to the fields to make more zombies. (laughs) Never had I dreamt that these entomogenous fungi would become talk of the town. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the show is based on a video game that was quite popular. So I guess ever since the video game came out, people have gotten more interested in these fungi. Uh, they surely uh, sure have. We'll get into the zombies a little later, but let's start with the real world threats. So, what are some of the dangers and undiscovered fungal contamination in a pharma lab? So, you know, fungal contaminations have been. Uh, Uh, on the rise and are becoming more prevalent since the 70s. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you my personal experience. You know, I was a clinical scientist in Israel, and my job was to introduce new technologies. Um, So when, uh, you know, in the 70s, when we discovered HIV and we had a lot of patients, we used to get sputum samples. Normally, sputum samples will have gram-negative bacteria like... uh, you know, pseudomonas or uh, bacterial pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And we started seeing pneumocystis corini. Uh, Pneumocystis corini is a natural habitat of the lungs. But if the person is immunocompromised, you know, even your normal flora becomes uh, pathogenic. Well, we had to develop media to grow it. But, you know, very fast, Nubocystis corini subsided and we got started seeing Aspergillus fumigatus. Mm-hmm. Today, Aspergillus fumigatus is the prevalent organism that kills people uh, who are immunocompromised and who have uh, fungal pneumonia. 
So recently, last December, WHO released a a list of 19 fungi in order of criticality, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, This has gotten the attention of the regulators and industry alike. There are more opportunistic fungi today than there were 50 years back. Just an example, just see how how opportunistic they are. Um, People who survived COVID in India Mm -hmm. got mucormycosis, that is pneumonia from mucor. Mucor belongs to the uh, family of bread mold, right? Mm -hmm. So they, this is how fungi infect. They see weak tissue, they have something to anchor to, and there they are. They anchor to it, proliferate. So I think the industry has to take mold seriously. Gone are the days of black mold, blue mold, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So why is it important to know which species you're dealing with? Why is fungal identification important? Let me tell you, you cannot catch a criminal without a name or with first name only. I think everybody should remember, unless you know what the isolate is, Mm -hmm. you cannot investigate. As I mentioned, knowing the mold or the criminal, the criminal's name provides the information to investigate and then to remediate. Mm. Mold has various porulation patterns. So in short, I'm going to tell you in layman's terms, zygomycota, ascomycota, deuteromycota are the main classes. Zygomycota has asexual and sexual spores, Mm -hmm. right? Asexual spores are easy to kill and sexual spores are hard to kill. But the trick here is that Many deuteromycotus fungi, which create only asexual spores, may switch their sporulation pattern and go to sexual, right? Mm. Uh, and you should, if you don't identify, you will never be able to know, uh, you know, the information you need to remediate or even to assess the objectionability of the mold. So if you have a deuteromycotus fungi, you have to know whether it has a sexual stage. That means it will be difficult to kill. Hmm. You you might have to look in your into your disinfection program, right? Yeah. The, also, the ID will tell you uh, tell you if they're cellulose or non-cellulose. Cellulose are the ones that come from wood, paper, cardboard, right? Mm-hmm. So that information helps you to investigate. Now, some mold like colder climate, like knowing the ID will lead you to your refrigerators and cold rooms. Mm -hmm. And examples of these are your cladosporium and or your basidium. Those are very predominant, right? Mm -hmm. Some mold proliferates fast, little food and little moisture, and they go go off making millions of spores. You should know which are the fast proliferating ones so that they they don't take over your clean rooms or your labs. Mm Only if the ID is valid will you know the mold and its resistance to disinfection, radiation, or heat. So ID is very important. So it's important to know what species it is, not only to know how to kill it, but also to figure out how it might have gotten in there in the first place. Exactly, because there are three parts to any investigation. It's ingress, transport, and proliferation. Mm -hmm. 
ingress where does the ingress happen where does this mold come from mostly from the outside rarely we see mold growing you know only if we have leaks or uh, conditions for it to grow mm -hmm. so you want to know up front and transport you can transport it through your air flows material flows personal flows waste flows so if you at the ingress point you know which mold is coming in right mm -hmm. then you will be able to protect your critical areas and your and your product but also either stop it from coming in or kill it as soon as you can right so you've written that fungal spores can live in the vacuum of space in extreme heat and cold and even in the soil contaminated by the chernobyl disaster so what are some of the ways to mitigate fungal contamination if they're so hardy and would those methods work on fungal zombies <laughs> <laughs> like the zombies a lot <laughs> in my mold contamination investigations i'm talking about the zombies yeah. i've seen cordyceps being isolated in the environment which means they had insects coming into the corridors either through the entrances or interstitial space uh, if you have broken tiles or mm -hmm. uh, leaks or you have air curtains you're actually introducing these insects and they're there the zombies are there Uh, you won't believe me i have gone to investigations and i i like to analyze the data and explain to people what the mold are where they have come from and many a times people are surprised how i know they had insects in the clean room mm -hmm. i said i didn't see insects i saw the zombie <laughs> right yeah. cordyceps yeah finding entomogenous these are called entomogenous fungi okay the zombies that you call finding Entomogenous fungi in environmental monitoring is not uncommon, but due to the lack of mycology knowledge, QC personnel do not analyze these identified recoveries. Mm -hmm. So I highly encourage people to learn a little more and analyze what you have. Mold will give you clues. They will say, "I, I am." This person, I come from here. I'm hiding here. <laughs> yeah. So if you analyze it, right, you will be able to do your investigation more effectively, and your remediation plans will be more effective too. Okay. Now, cordyceps, for example, is an ascomycotus fungi. It has sexual stage, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to kill, so you don't want those in your clean rooms. No. Now. like the other cellulose ascomycotus fungi those that come from cardboard and all that those are best kept away okay <laughs> good to know okay yep can you tell me about cordyceps and why it might have been chosen as the zombie fungus in the last of us <laughs> why they pick it <laughs> uh, i will tell you why okay again this is one visible you can see with the naked eye fruiting body mm -hmm. okay of the fungus others are microfungi belonging to dendromycota so uh, and it's fascinating and it's been around for a long time i think the reason is that cordyceps seems to be all the rage right now right mm -hmm. you see them in every adaptogen or pre workout supplement <laughs> right and they've been talked about extensively in the mushroom community and are considered as one of the top superfoods mm -hmm. 
Now, there are others, um, uh, other entomogenous fungi, which are highly, highly adapted pathogens to the host, right? Have you heard uh, the term flying salt shakers of demise? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> so the mold will initiate, it's in the cicadas, okay? Mm -hmm. um, is where the mold will initiate sporulation within its cicada host, mm -hmm. uh, which is still alive. Eventually, the abdomen is entirely consumed, leaving just the head and the thorax of the living insect. Mm -hmm. Then the cicada's ability to fly is retained, increasing dispersion. So it, it eats up everything Oof. and it tells the cicada, fly so I can <laughs> spread everywhere. How, how intelligent, isn't it? That's so gross, but also awesome. So yep. is what they say in the show true about fungus not being able to live in human bodies? That doesn't sound true to me. Okay, so the human body's average temperature is, what, 98.6 mm -hmm. degrees Fahrenheit and has long been too hot for most fungi to survive, right? Mm -hmm. That is what the infectious disease specialists say. But this is not an absolute. Right. If you look at the various infections, including blood infection, yeast, and mold, they happily live and replicate in the humans, right? And even form biofilms. I don't know if you follow Candida auris right now. Mm -hmm. It's hot topic in the medical industry. It is so well adapted to uh, form biofilms. Mm. So we are really in the baby stages of understanding fungi right yeah. now. I think people uh, will start paying attention. Yeah. I mean, if the show does nothing else but bring attention to how cool fungi is, I mean, that's that's a win for my for me. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, I I love it. I'm glad. Does transmission through cereal grain make sense? I mean, and why wouldn't an antifungal medication work for these infected people? So many species of uh, fungi called molding of the grain, right? Mm -hmm. Most becomes associated with the grain when it is still in the plant, in the field, right? Yep, yep. And, but may continue to grow and reproduce if the grain is stored under wrong conditions of moisture and temperature in the bin. Now, not all uh, grains, you have to remember, not all uh, grain mold fungi produce mycotoxins. That is the biggest fear. Also, not all mold that grows on the grains will necessarily infect humans. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, not all uh, cereal... Um, grain uh, mold will infect, but some are common, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the question about antibiotics, we are, we don't have enough antifungals. So with the rare emerging infections uh, and the tough-to-kill mold, um, I think it's a challenge in the medical field. Also, we don't do enough testing for fungal infections because we we are so focused on bacterial infections. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not much literature on fungal infections. I think the whole medical community, that is the doctors um, and clinicians, are waking up to the fact that they have to look not only for bacterial infections, but they have to also send tests for mold-related infections. Well, that is not comforting, but <laughs> it's still good no. to have more information than less. 
So switching gears a little bit, there's a scene where one of the characters steps on a tendril of fungus and that alerts the zombies who are far away to their presence. And I've heard that there are like fungal networks that can sort of communicate like the <laughs> mycorrhizal network. Is that so is that a real thing? Oh, well, entomogenous fungi are not known to form such underground networks, okay? okay? Yeah. <laughs> if that helps you. But I think they have taken the concept of hum- uh, humongous fungi such as armillaria that has been incorporated into the episode that they have taken two facts and combined them, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, correct. So fungi, you know, they range from uh, minute e-cells to, large, uh, to the largest organisms alive. Uh, Honey fungus, if you have heard this, which is armillaria, mm-hmm. uh, whose underground network spans large areas covering vast forests. And you know where is the biggest one? In the Blue Mountains in Oregon. Oh, wow. A, a specific honey fungus measures over two miles and is thought to be the largest living organism on Earth. Wow. So these networks are adaptive. They respond to the environment, allowing the fungi to send nutrients to where they are most required, explore resources, combat enemies, and make urgent repairs. Mm -hmm. They are the nature's most efficient and resilient network, and all without IT help. (laughs) So that being said, fungi use many methods of communication in these fungal networks, okay? Quorum sensing. Mm -hmm. Peptides, pheromones, oxylipins, volatile compounds, and gases <laughs> as communication methods. Isn't that intriguing? Yeah. They have as many uh, ways to communicate as I have, you know, messaging apps on my phone, sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> oh, they are so smart. They are so smart. Well, after so after Indiana Jones and other kind of similar adventure movies, there was a spike in college majors interested in archaeology. So what would you say to any aspiring mycologists who are inspired by pop culture to study fungi? So, you know, I have seen a little uptick uh, in people getting interested in fungi. You know, we have the Nextdoor app. I don't know whether you have it Mm -hmm. or not, Mary. But it's a great app. We share stuff. I give away my plants. And people have started going mushroom hunting. And people are talking about mushroom hunting. I think mushroom hunting is a lot of fun, but it is a sort of a meditation, too. you're so focused, right? You're so focused. If anybody has done moral hunting, they will know like for hours you won't find and you get frustrated. This is, this this teaches you patience. So you you don't find morals, you don't find morals. And then all of a sudden you find one moral and they're all there. And you say, wow, how come I didn't <laughs> see them, right? Yeah. So I hope this uh, inspires QC microbiologists to learn fungi. I've been teaching this hands-on course for 30 years. I want them to touch field C, as I told you, right? And uh, I want I know they want to eradicate them, but they're so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I hope these episodes will inspire more people to take the fungi as a hobby or as a career. They've always inspired me. And I think just read about them. Mm-hmm. It's uh, watch this. I mean, don't believe everything in this episode, as I told you how they've mixed two things together. But uh, 
Fungi are just fascinating, just fascinating. So what is the coolest fungus fact that you know? <laughs> yeah, you could pick just one. Something <laughs> that something that got me into trouble with my husband. <laughs> so it's a personal story. So I had a training center in Santa Clara. Um, so I used to teach this hands-on fungal ID course that I've been teaching for 30 years. And Olympus used to be very generous. They would loan me the Rolls Royce of microscopes. If you know what a Rolls Royce of microscopes is, that is what I want. People want fancy cars. I want that microscope. <laughs> it's about $75,000 only. Um, it has the face contrast. It has DIC. Mm -hmm. It has dark, dark field. And it has fluorescence. So on day three, after all the students left, I did a wet mount of the fast-growing fungi, Pisilomyces being one and Aspergillus being another. And I started looking at it under the dark field. And I literally saw them forming spores. Wow. I had no idea. I was lost. I had no idea of time. <laughs> 4 a.m. in the morning. I went, I said, oh, I must get some coffee. I went to the kitchenette and I saw my husband at the door, angry. Uh, and I opened the door and he said, do you know what time it is? I said, absolutely not. He says, we are all worried. I'm knocking at the door for half an hour. I was in trance, literal trance. If anybody gets a chance to watch this, it's fascinating fascinating that does sound meditative it, it, that's the best thing i wish i can do it every time but we get in more <laughs> trouble <laughs> exactly that's fair that's fair well thank you so much for joining me ziva this has been really fun um, i want to say one last thing by Mary. All means. yes I have a prayer. I say in gratitude to fungi for my daily bread. You know why? Why? If there were no fungi, there would be no soil. There will be no food for us. If we didn't have cellulose fungi, all the trees that have fallen would be still there. Mm -hmm. Nobody would have broken down the trees to simple sugars. Other fungi and bacteria would have come in and broken down to soil. So we have to thank the fungi, the cellulose fungi, for breaking down the trees so we can have our bread, our wine, our steaks. <laughs> I hope this makes sense. That does make sense. Thank you, fungi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>